It's been nearly a decade since a Fallbrook family of four disappeared, leaving authorities stumped for years. Then, in 2013, a grim truth was discovered outside Victorville. The remains of the mixed days. Joseph, Summer, and their toddler sons Johnny and Joey Jr. were found. They were buried in shallow graves more than 100 miles from their home. A year later, authorities arrested Charles Merritt, who worked with Joseph McStay. Merritt was charged with four counts of murder, and he has pleaded not guilty. That case is nearing its close. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Terry Figueroa, you're a public safety reporter for the Union-Tribune, and you've been covering this case for many years, the McStay case about the missing McStay family that was found murdered in the desert. So let's start at the beginning. Walk me through what happened with the disappearance in 2010. Well, I have been covering this case since it started in 2010. Um, back in February, early February of 2010, this family out of Fallbrook, they just moved to Fallbrook. It was a mixed day family. It was mom and dad and their two little sons. One was uh, three and one was four. They just disappeared. They just vanished. And it was the bizarrest thing. No one could get a hold of them. There was no cell phone activity. There was no bank account activity. And so eventually their family went to police and, or sheriff's department and said, hey, we, we help us. We don't know what's going on. So the sheriff's department investigated. And they went to the home. And, and this was a missing persons investigation at this point, not a homicide. And, you know, they found uh eggs and rotting food out on the counter in the home. Mm-hmm. They found the family's dogs outside, which was, you know, not, not usual. Um, they found evidence that it was as if they just poof into the air. There was popcorn bowls on the couch, you know, just, just, it was, they just were gone. And for a long time, um, sheriff's department about, well, I should say this about, uh, four days after they disappeared before anyone knew that they were missing, their family car had been towed from a strip mall parking lot down by the border. So in a sense, it was almost like people had thought they were in Mexico for some time, right? For a long time. Um, And that was ultimately what the Sheriff's Department here in San Diego um, sort of settled on. This must have been what happened. And they transferred the case in 2013, um, in early 2013, to the FBI because they had, you know, more international sources. Fast forward to November 2013, and um, there's a dirt biker out in the desert outside of Victorville, which is in uh, San Bernardino County, in the high desert, and he comes across a child's skull. Mm-hmm. He calls uh, 911, and ultimately the authorities find two shallow graves not that far from Interstate 15, maybe a football field away, um, and they find... Um, the father and one of the sons in one of the graves and the mother and the other son in the other. So now they've got a quadruple murder investigation. And what was it like when that was first found? Like did the, how long did it take for people to connect those bodies to the mixed days? So when they were found, the sheriff's department pretty quickly, you know, started figuring, Hey, do we have a missing family? And then they figured out pretty quickly that they did. But boy, the news that they had been found, 100 miles north of their home when everyone was looking 100 miles south to Mexico. It it was just, it it was just a a total curveball. It was mind-boggling. 
so there was a year where they were sort of investigating, and, and there was no movement on the case that we in the public knew about. And then suddenly, um, almost a year exactly after they found the bodies, they announced that they have arrested a business associate of um, the father, Joseph McStay. The man that they arrested, Joseph sold uh, water fountains. He sold indoor water features. Mm-hmm. And he hired a gentleman named Chase Merritt, um, very talented welder, to craft those uh, custom pieces. That was the gentleman that they ended up arresting and charging with four counts of murder. So what were the key pieces of evidence that connected Merritt to the crime? So, you know, in the beginning, right after the arrest, it was mom. They, they didn't really say much what they had. Um, at a preliminary hearing in June 2015, we kind of get a sense of it. And then really at the trial, we're really getting more of a sense of it. They don't have evidence that anything happened inside that home, although the prosecution, the home in Fulbrook, although the prosecution has sort of um, inferred and implied and suggested that that the family was killed there. The family was bludgeoned to death. Mm -hmm. Um, Summer McSay, the mother, her jaw was broken, like broken by, you know, the, likely the blow of, of a sledgehammer. They believe it was a sledgehammer. They found one in, in the graves. The evidence that the prosecution says connects Merritt, Mr. Merritt, is some anomalies with Joseph McStay's QuickBooks account. Um, they say there's some cell phone pings that puts Mr. Merritt um, near the, the uh, site in the desert where the bodies were found. Um, they say that Merritt had been dipping into, essentially, Joseph McStay's account. Joseph found out about it, went to fire him, and that's sort of what the motive for this murder was. And that the family was then essentially collateral damage. So do the prosecutors have a sense of a timeline of how they were murdered yet, or is that still unknown? You know, it's it's really interesting. Um, the prosecution essentially says that it was on the night of the 4th, um, although they're not saying that as strongly anymore. They're essentially saying that um, on the night of, of February 4th, 2010. And their argument, their theory, is that um, the family was buried in the desert February 6th, 2010, um, because they have pings from uh, Mr. Merritt's cell phone that put him very near that sort of relatively remote. It's not really that remote. It's not that far from the freeway, but there's mm-hmm. no roads to where the, the bodies were found. They're dirt roads. But, um, so they're, they're sort of saying it was in that time frame. The family's car was found abandoned at the border on February 8th. So the theory is that they were killed sometime in that, in that area. Mm-hmm. Now, the defense is saying, prosecution, you have not proven a single thing. Everything that you have is speculation. You certainly don't have evidence of of where a murder happened. There's no blood evidence in the home. There's no blood evidence in Mr. Merritt's vehicle. Um, You just simply don't have any evidence. Sorry, the defense's sort of counter argument is. And um, the trial is uh, about to wrap up. It's been ongoing. You've kind of mentioned some of the key arguments on both sides. So um, could you kind of give me a recap of the trial so far? Well, you know, it's, this case has taken quite a long time. This case 
family disappeared in 2010. They were found in 2013. Mr. Merritt was arrested in 2014. The trial did not start. Uh, testimony started in January of this year. And there were some dark days, um, lots of days that the court was not in session. But now we are just at the point where the prosecution and the defense are making their closing arguments. They're wrapping up and laying out their theories um, for the jury, for both sides, to what happened. During this month-long trial, the jury heard from uh, cell phone experts. They mm-hmm. heard from DNA experts. They heard from the initial detectives in San Diego who started this case back when it was still just a missing persons case. Um, they heard from the um, folks who did the autopsies on the bodies. There's There's been a ton of evidence, but there's not, I'm sorry, a ton of testimony, but there's not any specific evidence saying this is the place where the family was killed. Mm-hmm. So I imagine the argument is that he must have covered up the tracks well enough that there's just no clear evidence. And and that is that is what the prosecution's argument is. The defense's counter is there is no evidence that anything was cleaned up. The house does not appear to have been cleaned up. There was, you know, dust bunnies in the corner, um, stuff on the floor that, that you're not going to clean and then mess it up again. So the defense is basically saying, you have zero. There was no dipping into the accounts. McStay had given Merritt permission to go into those accounts. They were working together on those accounts. Um, the defense is saying that there's no DNA evidence at all that that puts Chase with the family. Um, There is some DNA evidence, according to the prosecution, that puts Mr. Merritt inside the family vehicle that was found at the border. Mm -hmm. But the defense is saying, well, hold on, that's probably, um, maybe he shook uh, Joseph's hand and that transferred over to the steering wheel. It's it's such a small amount of DNA. So everything is up for... Um, a fight and debate in this particular case. No one is, neither side is giving an inch on this one. So what's at stake for Merritt if he is uh, found guilty? Mr. Merritt is accused of four counts of murder. He's also accused of special circumstances of multiple deaths. This is a death penalty case. If he is convicted, there will be a second phase to determine whether or not he should be um, given life in prison or sent to death row for execution. So this is very serious for Mr. Merritt. And um, it's been almost a full decade since this tragedy happened. So what are the lasting scars for the extended family of mixed stay and other people that knew them? You know, it is a long time, but the family is... They're still as hurt as as they were, you know, nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Summer McStay's sister has been at that trial all days but one. Um, Patrick McStay, Joseph's father, you know, has come out from Texas to be a part of, of listening to this trial. Um, Joseph McStay's mother and brother were both there yesterday, and you can tell it's, it is hard to to watch this. I mean, they're looking, they're seeing images up on the screen of the family's remains. Mm-hmm. I mean, these were babies. 
the, the, the children, the, the, the littlest one, there, there was a diaper in the grave. They're seeing the photos of, of broken jaws and shattered skulls. Um, and it's, it's difficult mm-hmm. for them. And I imagine just the response for San Diego broadly at that time was was probably an element of fear of like, if this could happen here, this could happen anywhere. You know, it, it, it's really, I think it's just been such a mystery. People have been captivated by this from the beginning because they simply vanished. And it ultimately, this case attracted not just local attention, but um, national attention as well. There's been um, shows on, on the case. And locally, you know, they, this family was, was Southern California. They had just moved from uh, San Clemente to Fallbrook a couple months before this happened. Um, they, you know, they had long, deep roots in Southern California. So this, this case is one that affects um, many in this area. After covering this case for uh, as long as you have, what really sticks out to you as something that is hard to shake from your mind when you go home for the day? You know, I have covered this case since the very beginning. I remember being out in front of their home in February 2010 when detectives were taking items of evidence from the home. Um, this case breaks you know, my heart on every level. I mean, it's an entire family. These are, are little babies that were that were killed, um, and it just—it's just so sad. Mm-hmm. I think that's what what really just gets to me. It's it's just so sad and so pointless what happened. Hopefully, after all of this, uh, justice will be served, whoever it is. Yeah, that remains to be seen. This jury has. Um, a lot of evidence to go through, um, and I, uh, they sat through a lot of testimony, and now they've got to sit down and, and really go through just, you know, weeks, weeks of, of testimony and evidence. So they've, they've, got their, uh, they've got their hands full. This case um, will probably go to the jury this week. Um, both sides should be wrapping up their closing arguments pretty soon. Um, but then we'll be on verdict watch, and that takes as long as it takes. So mm-hmm. we'll keep an eye on it, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Terry Figueroa, thank you so much. Thank you. In other crime news, a cryptocurrency entrepreneur who had promised a Bitcoin paradise on land he did not own has been sentenced to 21 months in prison. 31-year-old Morgan Rockcoons was once San Diego's most prolific Bitcoin dealer, and he was busted for not following rules relating to preventing money laundering. While out on bond for that crime, he built a website for his tech paradise and allegedly misled investors. He'll face another hearing for that crime in July. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. We also host community events, including a forum on June 5th called Confronting Hate, Bigotry, Ignorance, A Path Forward. Join community leaders and moderator Stephen P. Dinkin of the National Conflict Resolution Center. For more information and to register, go to confrontinghate.com. Until next time.